0: Can a marriage survive infidelity? We dig deep to explore this thorny question. Join me, Jean-Claude Chalmé, and founder of The Place Retreats, and a featured columnist for The Times, with Amy Cooper and Louise Daniels, on The Place Retreats podcast. Search Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite Android app.
2: Hello and welcome again to your next episode I'm Amy Cooper and I'm Louise Daniels and today we're with Sarah Voluyevich, who is a specialist physiotherapist helping those with bladder bowel and sex problems who works at the Havelock Clinic and the NHS in London and she's going to chat to us about pelvic floor issues for women and men. <laughs> Hello Sarah. Hi. Hi. Uh, Sarah you're extremely experienced in all areas of pelvic floor health including pregnancy postnatal and also men's pelvic health and today we're going to focus on midlife issues for men and women in their 40s 50s and beyond. Are you cool with that?
3: Yeah that's that's
2: what we're here for. First of all can you explain exactly what the pelvic floor is and its function? Should we start with women?
3: Well we can talk about women and men partly together. Yeah. Um, So our pelvic floor muscles are a group of muscles um, that attach at the, pel- at the front of the pelvis, at the pubic bone. Then they come between our legs and attach at the back of the coccyx. And then they wrap around the urethra, the vagina for women, and then the back passage. So they're really important for our bladder and bowel control. In women and men, there, it is thought there is a bit of a role with sex function. Mm-hmm. Probably more of the evidence supports sex function in men. Compared to women, um, and it's kind of a bit inconclusive in the research. How important those muscles are in terms of if they're strong, are they going to make um, your sex life better? Yeah. Can I just
2: say that when Louise said uh, we obviously had a bit of a meeting a few days ago, and she said because you know men have the me- the men's pelvic floor, and I was like, men have a pelvic floor? I just didn't know. is that. Is that yeah. a misconception? Or, is, is, it, or I, is it just me that didn't know? Right. <laughs>
3: I think women, um, I think women here, are, we talk a lot more about our pelvic floor. We still need to talk even more about mm. it. Uh, we and, talk about it, but not enough. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, and, and and you know, it's, oh, you know, women having, having children, vaginal births, being pregnant, the menopause, all of those things impact on our pelvic floor. Mm. But for men, they wouldn't ever think about their pelvic floor, really, until something happens mm-hmm. with regards to their health that would have an impact on and, on those muscles. And does that tend to be around midlife for men?
4: Because I suppose men aren't having the stresses put on their pelvic floor that women have through exactly. pregnancy childbirth. Yeah. Yes. So does it that tend t- to be problem free generally until midlife for men?
3: Yeah. So men, luckily, are designed a lot better women our bodies really nice for them isn't it i know aren't they lucky (laughs) i'm just so glad that
2: (laughs) they've Um, got a lot going on haven't they
3: totally (laughs) i mean they don't need to get pregnant uh, periods all of that Mm. so yeah so and there is interesting there's a bit of a thought that actually the female body in terms of evolution we've not really caught up so we used to walk around on all fours and Mm. um, we had the pubic bone because that was closer to the ground kind of protecting our pelvic organs and pelvic floor and stopping things from coming down quite so much and now that we're upright the pubic bones at the front our coccyx is the back and then you've kind of got a bit of a, a gap in between those bony structures um, and you're really relying on the muscles and fascia and all this other soft tissue to to provide support there yeah. um so that yes. is your
4: pelvic floor yeah that's your pelvic yeah. floor yeah and just to get a sort of an image am i right in thinking that it's I envisage it like a hammock from my tailbone yes. to my pubic bone. Yeah, and that's muscles. a really nice visual
3: right. imagery, a hammock, some people say a bowl um, or a sling type structure, but that's kind of a really nice simplistic way to think about your pelvic And it's the floor. same for
4: men. They yes. have that same, yep. pretty much the same muscles in a hammocky type yes. of, yeah.
3: yeah. Okay. And when I'm in clinic and I Google image uh, male pelvic floor or female pelvic floor, often the, the search for results come up with the male and female next door to next to each other mm. the illustrations mm-hmm. and it's quite interesting to see you know and then you're educating the men and actually it really is very similar in terms of also that sling structure and then when you when you look at the pelvic floor muscles in a bit more detail because um, we've got the the superficial layer of muscles near the surface of the skin, you've got the deeper muscles that those are the ones that are a bit more important for your bladder and bowel control and and also they're quite sim- they're pretty much similar um male and female anatomy mm-hmm. mm. can i ask a really stupid question so when i think of
2: sort of pelvic floor and and especially having had two children i kind of do that oh this is graphic i'm so sorry but that motion of sort of like holding in a wee yeah, and good. so that's what i'm thinking when i'm so cuz i'm working out my pelvic floor right now I don't know if you can tell from my facial expression. I am too angry. concentration. You I'm just, yeah. I think you've mentioned Def- it. I can definitely tell by your facial expression. <laughs> but would men do that same thing? Is this a really stupid
3: question? Of saying, "I'm going to hold in a week." So for women, there are lots of different kind of visual cues that you mm. can think about. So hold. So imagine that you're trying to stop the flow of urine. Is a yeah. good one. Um, it's not something you should practice. Back in the olden days, um, even healthcare professionals they did advise women to practice stopping their urine mid-flow oh
2: actually really doing it yeah, yeah.
3: whilst they're weighing, which we now know isn't oh, good oh really um, but imagining imagining that, that so yeah. you can locate that muscle yes Yeah. Okay. Uh, other visual cues for women are things such as um, imagine you're gripping your partner some I've heard some physios say you know sucking spaghetti up through the vagina or, or you have these wonderful quite female uh, imagery like flowers and no, things. So, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> bit too bit too namby pamby. Yeah. Um, for me- men and women, it's important as well that when they're doing their pelvic floor squeezes or exercises, that they also think about squeezing around the back passage. Mm. So imagine you're holding in wind. Imagine you're out in public and you're you're really trying to keep mm. that wind in. At the same time don't. as holding in the wee. Yes. I'm yes holding so in
4: Wind and wee. Yes. We I'm, I'm doing both. Back and, I'm back doing front both together. Right now. I'm alternating. So would <laughs> and, and, men
2: do, sorry, you're going to.
3: to. yeah so the men the male cues would be a little bit different obviously different anatomy because they don't have a vagina um and they they might not try and stop the flow Mm. like a, a woman might do so visual cues might be things like um imagine you're you're drawing your scrotum up at the front um uh, other things that you might hear. Uh, imagine you're walking into really, really cold seawater, and everything's kind of right. So that sensation. Yes, yeah. yes, because uh, it... that's
4: good. Yeah, for men to have. How's that working for you, Paul? With that visual, um, is that a nice one for men? It's lovely. Uh, yes, yes, Great. Thank I'm you. Still, Just quiet. had that confirmed Across by. We'll have that confirmed by a man.
2: I mean, the the, the <laughs> idea of um, men holding in wind, they wouldn't know what that feels like, would they? <laughs> <No>.
4: You know. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm just imagining my husband is going, I wouldn't know. Well, why would why you? Would do Why that? would you hold that? <laughs> oh, even you want to do that or a why? meeting? Just
3: let it out. <laughs> so just going back to anatomy and the differences between men and women. So women are really vulnerable and, and this is a main reason, well, amongst lots of other causes of why... The pelvic floor can go wrong, and why you might have difficulty controlling your bladder or with with leakage is that the urethra in women is a lot lot shorter than in men. Right. right. Uh, so in men, on average, it's around twenty centimeters, and in women, it's only around four centimeters. So for them to for for men to leak a dribble or or any kind of urine, they've that urine's got a much longer path right. to go. Uh, so, again, that's just that kind of vulnerability yes. of the female anatomy. Mm-hmm. What well, does that mean, then, that that men will realise
4: that's going to happen before they're just dribbling that first five centimetres, so those right. remaining
2: 15 centimetres, whereas <laughs> we're just bang into the gussets yes. and see, needing yeah. a tenner lady, whereas they <laughs> almost have that bit yeah. to go. Yeah, right. Okay. You were talking before about uh, pregnancy, childbirth and, and the menopause. Um, so what's going on? when women are sort of perimenopausal what what are the changes and the
3: hormone changes that impact that area too so around that time in a in a woman's life the estrogen levels go down <laughs> and that has an impact on tissue health um what is a bit of a misconception as well or or people just don't also also know about that when you're postnatal your estrogen levels also reduce and that's why women postnatally might get vaginal dryness or or pain pain with sex as well as some other causes. but it's always good to to think about your estrogen Mm. um estrogen levels being low and then the impact that has on tissues I guess we were saying before, weren't we, you know, like
2: um, birth trauma and the, all of those things sort of have an impact, don't they? Definitely,
3: yeah. And just just going back to the the impact on tissues. So, so when we have less estrogen in our bodies, the impact that has, it will affect the vagina, it will affect the vulva. So you might not even notice um, any kind of visible changes, but all of those changes are happening on a really kind of tiny cellular level. And the impact will be the vaginal walls are a bit thinner, Mm. um, drier. um, There's less elasticity there. um, There are changes in kind of the tissue structure. Um, So that can all have a a real impact on sex. And really interestingly, and I only kind of heard about this only a few years ago. uh, So when we're developing in our mother's tummy, Mm. uh, our bladder and vagina are made up of the same tissue so if that's why if you have say there are some vaginal changes that's why you might have some urethral and bladder changes so that kind of around the menopause time you might think well I've been dry all my life and you know I'm 50 now and now I'm getting leakage why is that um, and everything kind of all comes at once mm. but yeah I just find it really interesting the fact that your your tissue it all kind of started way way back when wow. when you were a little yeah. embryo yeah. Uh, what was going on in your development yeah yeah it's crazy isn't it
4: and am I right in thinking so estrogen I mean this is slightly just going away from uh, pelvic floor but we have estrogen receptors all over our body don't we so it yes. kind of so perimenopause when estrogen levels are dropping that is going to have an effect head to toe really yes so yeah that, definitely yeah yeah, yep. yeah so
3: it so obviously there are loads of different symptoms of menopause and women experience them mm. those symptoms in varying degrees yeah. but yes it can have uh, uh lots of changes going on in the body do
2: you know what this is probably an overshare but as you're sitting here talking i'm thinking am i perimenopausal you probably are i me? mean i mean <laughs> Yeah, like now, um, How, how old you, are you? Why are you thinking that? Well, I'm 42, you, and I'm just, yeah. I'm just like, is my funny a bit baggy when <laughs> I'm having sex recently? <laughs> is this an overshare? I'm sorry, but I'm just like, your period
3: regular? Do you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. everything's looser, and I'm, I'm suggesting
2: like, Viagra. Maybe I, I, don't know. Do I need HRT already? Is, no. I, well, no. I don't know. I mean, you can
4: be perimenopausal from... it's possible before 40. Yeah. Um, I'll collect some other symptoms and get in touch with you. Yeah, also I think, my I'm I'm not an expert in menopause, but obviously have become much more educated about it over the last year. But it's it's a gradual, it's not like you go like one day right now, I am perimenopausal and here are the symptoms. Mm. And the symptoms are different for everybody. And often I think you can put those symptoms down to To other things. things. Yeah. Which is why it's not always very clear when women are perimenopausal. Yeah.
3: And often they will recognise it with hindsight. If you're still having periods, if they're regular, if you're not having any kind of intermittent spotting or, or longer gaps, then that's a good sign so as well. So that's the
2: main sign, isn't yeah. it? A, re- a yeah. regular yeah. period. So if you, okay. notice,
3: or if you notice any kind of hot flushes or any of those other things. yeah. But I wouldn't expect your vagina to feel open or baggy or anything yeah. like that to be thinking... Oh, to, right. to, to among you into no, thinking no. we're going... No, I, I guess In it's no, just that uh,
4: you're talking about elasticity. <laughs> <laughs> it's just too elastic, Amy. I mean, that's yeah. like
2: <laughs> <it's, it's, laughs> I mean, an old pair of
4: knickers. It, it yeah. is, <laughs>
2: like throwing a tennis ball down Dean's gate, you know. Um, but maybe that's another conversation, I don't know. <laughs> um, so we talked about signs um, and, you see, this is the other thing. Oh, this is really becoming an overshare now, but we've got a baggy entrance. And then we've got a bit of pain. Yes. So okay, women can find sex painful
3: at this time, can't they? And I'm kind of, yeah. So talk us through that. So that all comes down to, again, about the, the, the changes in the tissues, yeah. what's happening in the area. So um, not having that kind of, um, with the dryness, the area isn't as... It doesn't sound very pleasant doesn't very, sound very sexy but you know the the vaginal tissues become a bit thinner mm-hmm. and they're not as kind of bulky and not, plump as, juicy. And as, yeah. Yeah, not yeah. as juicy yeah yeah not as <laughs> juicy and that can lead to pain what can we do
2: about this i mean obviously we've got um the old ky yeah, but young. that's
4: not, you don't recommend no, that. Do
3: you? No, no, no. It's not an 80s thing. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. it's, we didn't you know about it. Or even those? 90s. I mean, there's so many more lubes yeah. out there on yeah. the market. Can you talk us through those? Compared, yeah. Yes, definitely. Compared to, say, five, even five years ago. Mm. Um, so there are different kinds of lube. You can get water, oil, or silicon. Water, if you if you wanted to do a bit of an experiment, you can order free samples of different companies online. If you had, say, water in one hand and silicon or oil in the other and kind of rub that between your fingers, you'd really notice that the water dries up very quickly. Yes, I can imagine that. And the annoying thing is with sex, you can use water, but you just maybe want to reapply it during sex, which might be a bit of an inconvenience and a bit of faff. So silicon and oil are much more longer, longer lasting some people it's really personal preference some people find oil too um a bit too slippery or too greasy almost yeah yeah so try what works for you a very common lubricant that women tend to like is a brand called yes it's organic mm-hmm. uh the ph of that is very similar to the the normal vaginal ph uh, compared to other lubes so it's one that we recommend but it's always good to give people a few different options that mm. they can try uh just a bit of a warning you can't use oil with condoms because it might affect the condom effectiveness right yeah um, but yeah try lots of different ones uh, Shush the sex shop Emporium they do their own ones they're quite good um, Uber Lube, um and are they all sort of they're
4: they don't smell of anything, taste, taste of, of anything. Of anything. Oh, yeah, it's always yeah. better go get the go for something really plain and then apply. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. don't
3: use the fruity, the no. the heat, the heating one, the cooling one. Oh, go God for something no. really heating plain one. and bog standard. So I've got terribly
4: sensitive skin, and I would imagine mm. I can only imagine what would happen if I were to use something that heats up.
3: Yeah, <laughs> and really, no matter what age you are lots of people that work in sexual health recommend that everyone no matter what age you are use lubricant and i think it is a bit of a misconception that if you oh but i you know i get fully aroused i feel wet yeah um then i don't need lube but you know for good good sex health it's it's Good. What good I like to, to call
2: best practice.
3: Yeah, best practice. Gold <laughs>
2: standard sex. Best, best practice in the bedroom. I always say apply a lube. Okay, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna grab some of that. That's a good idea.
3: So another product that can really benefit a lot of women is vaginal moisturisers. Um, so again, yes, the company that I mentioned previously—they produce one. That's different um, to lube, then. It's a yes, totally different yeah. thing, right? Different. Okay. different Are we to talking lube? like a cleanse tone and moisturize on your face <laughs> yes, for exactly your face. for the vulva? For the vulva. <laughs> yes, yeah. keep it moisturized, keep those tissues healthy, and it all. When you think about it, it all makes common yeah. sense. Yeah. every day, some on the elbows put, on the hips, yes, all those, everywhere, yeah. all your nooks and crannies. Yeah. but you forget about your vulva, yeah. so. Yeah. Important to pay attention to all, all of our, our body never parts. Never moisturise my vulva. So yeah, vaginal moisturisers can also be brilliant. Um, and then, what if women have got dryness and they they might not even have dryness during sex. They might just kind of com- mention a bit of like vulval irritation mm. um, d- throughout the day. And um, but anyway, either of those symptoms, or even if they've got any urinary symptoms such as urgency, rushing to the loo, or any kind of leakage local topical estrogen can be really beneficial there's um there are some more up-to-date guidance uh, nationally here in the uk that um because there was a bit of a, you know there was a lot of scaremongering over mm. any kind of hrt and any kind of hormonal treatment but the guidelines um, i think hopefully mm. have reassured a lot of people yeah, and
4: we talked about that in a, in a previous episode. I think it was with um, Dr. Louise Newson, the menopause doctor, just in case people are listening want to go back to our um, episodes, and also with Liz Earle um, about those guidelines and unpicking the research a bit.
3: Yeah, so always consider local oestrogen. Um, it can come in a cream or tablet format as well. Um, and it can it, it can really make a difference if you've got pain or discomfort during sex and also if you've got urinary symptoms as well.
2: Hello, this is Rich Wilson, host of the podcast Insane in the Membrane, where we talk to funny and interesting people about men's mental health. People like James A. Kester. Because we won't talk about
0: emotions, because we think that's bad. We won't talk about feelings, because that's bad. So they've had to rebrand it. Go, it's mental health. Oh, course,
1: oh yeah, yeah.
0: mental. Our, our brains are so yeah. I'm, I'm pretty clever. Uh, I, I like that. Okay, I'll get, I'll get into my mental. Yeah, I'm, that's I'm, it. I like puzzles. <laughs>
1: and Rob Beckett. I've never
0: even d- done a school play. <laughs> I did some open mic gigs. <laughs>
4: Uh, did the Edinburgh
1: Fringe, got on, somehow got on the telly. And I'm on mean, the other side of the world in the jungle doing <laughs> nights. <laughs> following and Beck. People like Mark Steele. I need being at home and I didn't get on with me. my dad was in an asylum by then. I suppose we ought to talk about that, shouldn't we? <laughs> yeah. yeah, given the premise of the,
2: the podcast. Search Insane in the Membrane from wherever you get your podcasts. Brand new episodes every Thursday at 6pm.
3: Sarah, what are your thoughts on pelvic floor muscle trainers? So I, I sit very much on the fence when it comes to trainers. I think there are pros and cons of of gadgets and trainers. Um, they're in our... Again, coming back to the national guidance, the NICE guidelines for the management of urinary incontinence, they recommend supervised pelvic floor muscle training. So you really want to see a physio, they would teach you exercises that you can go off and do and it would be kind of like a prescription, so it would be really individual to what you need to be doing to help get those muscles stronger. If you're asymptomatic, just doing pelvic floor exercises alone, would also be beneficial oh sorry Uh, no symptoms (laughs) if you've you've got a brilliant bladder and bowel control so the the research at the moment on poet floor trainers is quite limited but I think for some women they might some women love a gadget and they love a toy and some of the the trainers are really clever you've got apps that you can connect them to and they're bluetooth connected and you can play games and it can give you really good visual feedback on what you're doing and how strong you're holding that muscle contraction mm. um there is a bit of a risk that if you if you're doing that kind of off your own back on your own that your technique might still be not perfect or you might not be really achieving what you want to be achieving if you haven't got a bit more supervision uh, so they can be great for for motivation and and i would say do them alongside your pelvic floor exercises Mm. um but the downsides are time and faff and you might need to charge it and you've got to wash it after every use and some of them are quite expensive as well so um pros and cons Mm. but it's something you can try there isn't anything out there that there's no research or literature to say if you use this trainer you will do better You'll get stronger quicker than if you just do pelvic floor exercises alone. Mm. So we haven't got that research at the moment, um, but and it's just another adapter charge exactly. lead in in the in the corner in the with cupboard. all the old Apple yeah. Apple iPod,
2: iPods, all the devices now that I can't use with that charger. Can you get the ones that are not? Um, they're electronic they're just sort of
3: yeah you can get i mean there's really a, a real a very very simplistic bog standard we call it biofeedback so that means you're getting some kind of visual cue of what you're doing with your muscles mm-hmm. uh, there's something called a pelvic floor educator which is basically a, a plastic probe that you insert into the vagina with this tiny thin stick that so say if you were lying on your back you would see the stick Pointing between your your thighs, yeah. and as you squeeze, you would see the the stick nod downwards, oh. and that's really cheap. That's about ten to twelve pounds. Uh, some physios videos... got the time. So, Just... uh, so... <laughs> I know, I know, but some people are committed. Okay, so can we move back to men?
4: Um, and we know that pelvic floor issues can cause incontinence and also sexual dysfunction. So as, well, sexual dysfunction, dysfunction I understand, as, as being your difficulty either achieving or uh, maintaining an erection um,
3: and or difficulty reaching orgasm. Um, is that correct? Yeah, those steps are all part of part of the process that the initial first step is your desire as Ah. well so that's also part of your sex function how do you you know do you have any kind of libido yeah but is that is that to
4: do with your pelvic floor though no no well it's
3: psychological and it
4: is it is is linked
3: presumably that isn't
4: something that men just have to accept as part of aging if we talk about like okay let's think about the libido let's say libido is there because that's a slight separate issue but then trouble getting an erection, maintaining an erection, reaching um, orgasm could be a sign of a pelvic floor health issue. Um, If a man is recognising that this is starting to be an issue, it presumably can then develop into um, anxiety because they're worrying, is this going to happen? Is this going to happen? Which then in itself can exacerbate the problem. So, so can we just talk about the whole thing because I know that this is what you specialise in and also with Dr Karen Gurney at the Havelock Clinic um, because A I think lots of men won't go and see somebody about this um, so listening now or if you know their, their partner is listening and then can go right listen to this um, I think it would be really helpful for um, men to have an understanding of why these things might be happening so reduction in libido and then you know the pelvic floor issues and is there anything they can do about it
3: erectile dysfunction we'll call it um we'll call it ed for short so if if a man and and this can happen from quite an early age as well right um men can experience it at any time really of of their life where they find it difficult to either gain or maintain or maintain an erection now what's really really important is if any and if any man has a change in their 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 erections that they see their gp about it um it is. I kind of think of it as almost like the the male version of urinary incontinence, isn't it? In it's probably that real, under you know, not spoken about kind mm. of thing. It's really embarrassing, but it's actually it's a very commonly searched term on on the internet as well. Yeah. Ed. And why it's really important to see your doctor is there can be lots of what we call organic. So there might be a medical reason behind the ed, including. It's, it it's actually can be the first sign of cardiovascular disease so an, an erection to have an erection you rely on the having good healthy blood vessels because you get an increase in blood flow into the penis and it's so it's that's why it's one of the first signs of cardiovascular disease that obviously makes perfect sense but that is just amazing isn't it that you know you you so you,
2: as a man, you're in that situation, you're turned on, but you can't get hard. And then you obviously just don't want to
3: talk to anyone about that. But actually, it could be flagging up something really fucking serious. Yeah, exactly. So so this is why it's really important to see a doctor. And there can be lots of other reasons. So it might be if you say if you have diabetes and it's a peripheral neuropathy, so your nerve nervous system isn't working as well as it should. Um, yes, there can definitely be a psychological factor Mm. um, as well in terms of anxiety or depression. It might be due to medication that they're on. Any links with being overweight
4: or drinking too much?
3: Alcohol and smoking Mm. can have an impact on erections, yes. Is there anything men can do about
2: that? So see your GP as a bit of a process of elimination.
3: Yes. And then... Exercises, or um... so it, it depends on what the the causes. The GP might prescribe medication mm-hmm. uh, to help increase the blood flow, and there are lots of different different options out there. Things like Viagra or injections into the penis. Sounds possible. <laughs> <laughs> If there is a psychological aspect as well, uh, having some kind of psychosexual support as well would be brilliant. Unfortunately, services in the NHS are really stretched and very thin for that kind of support, unfortunately. Um, but there is there is help out there if you mm-hmm. try and keep asking your GP for it. Again, do men
4: need to get a little bit clued up themselves and and then go and say to their GP, I'd like to be referred to, would they be referred to someone like you at uh, uh, a pelvic
3: floor physio they'd probably initially be referred to a to see a sexual health consultant right okay um to go through some options and to help assess their psychological status right. as well to what, how,
4: what where the problem is coming from exactly yeah, right. and
3: they may or may not be referred to physio. so not if if we if physio saw everyone with ed mm. we we would probably be inundated and actually we're we're not needed for absolutely everyone but there is there is a bit of evidence that says if you if you improve your pelvic floor muscle strength yeah it can definitely help maintain and and gain an erection and that's if those muscles are a bit stronger they can just help keep that blood in the penis so then you can maintain the erection but i've i've seen some men that have had problems with their erections and i've assessed their pelvic floor and actually it's been really good so they so it's not really something I can help oh. with and then they need to see someone else for yeah. a bit more support okay
4: um also now I've read about a treatment involving weights um so kind of resistance training for the penis um what are your thoughts on that I
3: I'll be honest yeah. I don't know much about it it's it sounds quite um it sounds hilarious it's <laughs> sa- <laughs> Louise's
2: <laughs> internet search history is really something to fascinating.
3: be fascinating <laughs> I i think it's probably a bit like the female gadgets mm. if you're if you're not doing as we discussed about how to do a pelvic floor mm. contraction then you know, that's that's kind of that's the best kind of thing that you want to be doing mm. um if you want to be using a gadget great it's if it yeah helps helps if it makes you feel better brilliant or it's an incentive for you for some people that that, that will
4: be they wouldn't if it's, if it's going to make them do something, then it's probably, yeah, that, yeah. that's the benefit.
3: Yeah, maybe. and we, whether it helps or not, no. really.
4: No but, evidence mm, yet. But placebo
3: so, effect yeah. is mm-hmm. very powerful.
2: I've got a friend who um, has actually gone and had this um, sort of vaginal rejuvenation.
3: So mm. have you heard about that? Yes, yeah. So there is a, there's a bit more talk about vaginal rejuvenation. And it's for women that might feel that they've got what they're calling vaginal laxity. So mm. they feel that the vagina feels open. So this would be
2: on my radar right
3: now. Yeah. I'd be looking at that and thinking, do I need to go and get like laser yeah. up yeah. there or something? Which, which to me sounds really extreme, which sounds like a really extreme step. So I, again... You want to try and do anything you can before going on to some of these invasive treatments. So see your GP, ask for a referral to GP because if you improve your pelvic floor muscle strength, then that hopefully will help. Mm-hmm. Um, some of these new newer technologies, so vaginal rejuvenation, you've got a laser and then a radio frequency. Um, so different, slightly different technology. The laser works by effectively burning the tissues uh, so that you get new cell growth and that is quite concerning for some gynecologists the the technology behind that we don't also know the long-term effects of that Uh, radio is is meant to be safer there have been a few little studies um there have been a few studies so far, and last year there was a paper because lots of people are are slightly dubious or worried about the long term effects. Lots of consult consultants, uro gynecologists around the world, are a bit concerned about some of these treatments. Some of them are massively in support of them mm. as well. It's, you know, it's great to be able to give women an option if it's something they want to try. So they and there's obviously. There's
2: the old money thing involved, isn't yeah. there?
3: Yeah. So this treatment at the moment, as far as I'm aware, isn't available on the NHS. Mm-hmm. But I know there are some places privately where you can have it done. Um, my feeling is don't leap into having something like like that just yet. Consider all of your options, whether that's physio. Maybe you do want to go for this um, this vaginal rejuvenation treatment. We'll look at the pros and cons of everything, look at the yeah. research, what do the guidelines say, and then make your own decision yeah. so that it's kind of well informed. Trouble but, is, we all want a quick fix, though, don't we? Yeah, if I can go yeah. and see
4: someone tomorrow afternoon and get my vagina rejuvenated in my yeah, lunch brilliant. hour, yeah. you know, then yeah, I'm going to fork out for that. If, if you yeah, know, but but it's worth, yeah, you've got to. Look, you know, be aware of whether or not there's actually any evidence to back that up. Yeah. It so it's in
3: the space. early, it's it's very new technology. It's in the early stages. It could be life changing yeah. for for some women in the future. So we yeah. can't rule it out no. completely. But at the moment, we just need to it's consider all options. Yeah. There's lots of work going on with NHS England at the moment and they have their long-term plan, which you can have a look at online, Mm -hmm. big document, but there is a lot more focus on pelvic floor, uh, rehab and and giving support to women, particularly postnatally. So trying to nip them in the bud and prevention rather than, oh, let's wait until then we'll try and fix them. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we it kind of needs to start really from, from the ground in terms of physio students at university making them aware of their specialism because when i was at uni we literally had a, a an hour lecture on it was women's health as well mm. men were completely not mm. spoken about uh, and then that was it and then i only had my first experience of of women's health um about nine years ago or something so uh it's and lots of hospitals don't have pelvic health as as a physio rotation so then once you've graduated from uni you don't really get that little taster of it um so then even if you're in a small team there are fewer opportunities for learning and development um as well as but alongside that the the development career development and the support yeah the number of posts Mm. needs to be more as well because we would get we would see a lot more women if we see them after birth yeah Mm. Uh, there'd be a really high high demand yeah Yeah. Yeah. but we'd need to have the workforce that can meet that demand yeah can i just ask about the have a lot clinic as well which i know is private um but
4: presumably that's a kind of is the right word multidisciplinary because you might see somebody and then be able to say to them oh you need to see my colleague and so i mean that's probably you know fantastic if you if you can get to go go along along there
3: yeah so multidisciplinary or mdt approach is particularly for sex problems Mm -hmm. it's very recommended Mm -hmm. in lots of the literature and research and articles and it's because these problems are really complex Mm -hmm. and it isn't normally just a psychological problem or a medical problem or a physio problem and so an mdt approach is really good for and i'm lucky that in also in my nhs job we've got that same approach and i can chat with psychologists and sex therapists and doctors as needed a
2: different trained pair of eyes could maybe pick something up that you couldn't and vice versa yeah you guys are doing the lord's work down there sarah thank you a <laughs> uh,
4: quick question the final question um so pelvic floor training for men
3: and for women is it ever too late no no, no never too late i i've treated patients because we only really treat adults from 18 up to 80 something oh, right. Okay. so yeah. no do not fear i've seen really independent active 80 year olds Um, male and female and they you know there's there's always scope to get better Mm, so never give up one of the biggest reasons I think for people moving into into nursing homes or residential homes is around bladder and bowel yeah, yeah incontinence it's a huge thing and that's probably another group of people mm. that we're not helping enough. Mm. Okay, thank you, Sarah. We're going to put um, links to all your information in the show notes with with this episode. Um, and yeah, thank, thank you very much. Thank you very thank much you. for inviting Bye. me. Bye. 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 Made by DarkhorseDigital.co.uk.
2: Shooting, live streaming, and podcast production.